0: Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 108: The Fort William Henry Massacre. 1756 had not been a good year for the British in North America. Within 1 month of Lord Loudon taking control of the theater, the offensive capacity of the northern frontier had been completely destroyed although this was better than the condition of the Western Frontier, which had dissolved altogether, while the French and Indians were free to launch raids at their will. Loudon made his plans for 1757. Loudon had two major objectives, which were both to undo the damage done the previous year. The Frontier in the South would be re-established as he sent reinforcements to Pennsylvania and South Carolina. This would involve regulars, but the intention was to use provincials. Meanwhile, the Redcoats would launch an invasion of Canada, moving north from New York into Quebec. Then Pitt got involved. Having come to power in late 1756, Pitt wanted to fully support Loudoun and an all out offensive in the colonies. This would involve 8,000 regulars as reinforcements, which Loudon was very excited about. But it came with a catch. Pitt wanted to get involved in planning. Pitt said that rather than launching an assault directly against Quebec, the British would move against Louisbourg. The French fortress we've mentioned a few times in the narrative, which was located on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. From here, the British would move against Quebec via the St. Lawrence. It was a strategically better plan, although Loudon was concerned that it would leave New York in a position of vulnerability. But Loudon was a good soldier, and so he went along with the plan. The winter of 1756-57 was spent doing all the boring logistics that are necessary if you want to have a successful military operation centralising storehouses, widening roads, creating an army wagon train. These factors reduced the cost of transporting goods by over 60%. Loudon also made changes to the way that provincial troops were mustered. Rather than each colony providing what was essentially its own army, they would supply smaller numbers, but have them in standardised, hundred-man companies, so that they could integrate with each other better. This was Loudoun's attempt to have the Provincials serve on his own standards, though he still had the intention of abandoning them when he could in favour of his British regulars. Quartering remained an issue, and indeed Loudoun was not popular. His plan to stop black market trade with the French was to issue a complete trade embargo across the colonies. All the governors immediately complied, A trade embargo during wartime wasn't exactly unknown, but these were short-term things. And Loudon's just kept going. Grain prices plummeted in Pennsylvania, as none could be exported, while the price shot up in Boston. Tobacco sat in storehouses in Maryland and Virginia, while the merchants were trapped. They appealed to Loudon, but all this seemed to him an acceptable price for stopping trade with the French. The first colony to break was Virginia. The House of Burgesses heaped pressure on Dinwiddie, refusing to fund the armies unless the embargo was lifted, and Dinwiddie gave in. Not wanting to lose out on tobacco trade to Virginia, Maryland followed suit and lifted the embargo. Loudon was furious, but found there was nothing he could do. The embargo was lifted, just after he set out Louisburg. On June 20th, 1757, Loudon set sail from New York Harbour with 6,000 troops. They were in roughly 100 transport ships. An escort from the Royal Navy never arrived, but Loudon wanted no more delay. He was furious that it had taken so long to get going, but he was still quietly confident. He had reinforced the Western frontier, He'd sent two regular regiments, along with 5,500 provincials, to protect New York. He had centralised the American war effort, and had gone further to uniting the colonies than anyone else had ever done. He had secured supplies, he had vastly improved the transportation network in America, he had increased the ability of the provincials to integrate with the regulars. He had been reinforced. It was, by some distance the best organised, prepared and planned expedition the British had ever undertaken. However, there are some things you cannot plan for. On the northern frontier, Major General Daniel Webb was in command. He was third in command in North America. You might recall us discussing his response to rumours of a French advance in western New York a few episodes ago. You know, when he destroyed the British fort and retreated. Loudon was greatly troubled by Webb, but had no choice but to leave him in command. He was, after all, a protégé of Lord Cumberland, who was still a few months away from his own fall of grace in Hanover. Loudon hoped that Webb would be able to advance the frontier, but this was impossible, partly because Webb was a defensively inclined general, a park-the-bus sort of chap. But then there was also the problems caused by a surprise attack against Fort William Henry, the British fort guarding the Upper Hudson Valley, in March 1757. The French force had attacked only with scaling ladders rather than cannons, and so were unable to actually take the place. The fort was defended well, But the French raiders burned down many of the outer buildings, severely damaging the strategic capacity of the outpost. The result of this was that the British spent the first half of 1757 focusing on trying to repair the fort, which they did not adequately do. All the while, the French were undertaking a massive recruitment drive among the Indians of the upper Great Lakes Basin. Montcalm had many reservations following what happened at Oswego, but the 2,000 that assembled were enough to negate this. They joined 6,000 French regulars, troops de la Marine, and the Canadian militiamen that Montcalm had assembled. This force presented Montcalm with both drawbacks and opportunities. On the one hand, it was necessary to keep the Indians in favour. They were a powerful force, fully one quarter of his fighting force, and they knew the country better than anyone. It would be impossible to do anything without them. But there were problems with this. Indians is a broad term. These men came from at least 33 different nations, spoke as many languages, and all had different levels of familiarity with European culture, and, as Oswego had demonstrated quite clearly, Montcalm could not command them. They were not subjects, they were allies. He could try his best to influence them, but that was all he could do. British intelligence was not great, but even they were able to work out that something big was afoot. They knew something was coming this spooked Webb. Fort William Henry needed reinforcements desperately. They had only 1,100 men fit for service at the end of July. Webb didn't want to weaken his own position at Fort Edward, so he sent 200 regulars who arrived on August the 2nd, the same day that large fires were spotted nearby. Scouts were sent out, but they never returned. On the morning of the 3rd, The British looked out over Lake George and saw nearly four hundred boats waiting for them, and they had cannon. The commander started, sending desperate pleas for help. Montcalm was as methodical as ever. His first action was to use his advance party to cut off the supply route to Fort Edward. This was done swiftly, and soon the Indian sharpshooters were firing upon the defenders. Then it was time for the formalities. Montcalm was, after all, a very European commander. He sent a messenger to the fort under a peace banner, demanding the fort surrender. He wrote that once the attack began, he may be unable to restrain his Indian allies. The British commander said he would fight to the last. The British were not in a good position, but it was not helpless. They were well supplied... They had 18 heavy cannon and 13 light on the ramparts, not to mention two mortars and a howitzer. The defenders were solid. The main immediate risk was that of fire, which the British dealt with by removing the flammable shingles from the roofs of the interior buildings, and throwing away the firewood. The risk was more long-term such as the walls collapsing after sustained cannon fire. As time went on, the French would have the better odds of success. So what the defenders needed more than anything was help from Webb. So what did Webb do? Webb decided to not send reinforcements to Fort William Henry until reinforcements arrived for Fort Edward from New York and New England. In his mind... Fort William Henry served as the first step on a road to Fort Edward. Therefore, Fort Edward needed to be protected. He wrote to the commander, informing him that he did not think it prudent to assist. Those are the actual words of the message. That Webb did not think it prudent. He then went on to suggest that he consider surrendering if he could find favourable terms. The letter was intercepted by Montcalm, who passed it on with a note suggesting that he should take Webb's advice, but the commander resisted. The walls had not yet been breached, so it would be unhonourable to consider it, although it might have been prudent. They were under fire from the French, and their own cannon were literally exploding. They were being fired too frequently, and over half the heavy cannon exploded. Morale slumped, By the 8th of August, things were looking grim. The top three feet of the bastions had been blown away. The bunkers within were heavily damaged. Only five of the cannon were still working, and they had lost almost all of their supplies. The British surrendered the next day. The deal offered by Montcalm was identical to the one offered to the British garrison on Minorca the previous year, which is military speak for Well done there, that was an expertly defended siege, and you did everything by the book. The British troops would pledge to become non-combatants for 18 months, and were granted safe passage to Fort Edward with a French escort. Those too sick to travel would be cared for by the French, and could return when they were well. The soldiers would be able to maintain any personal items. The fort, the cannon, and the supplies would be surrendered, French prisoners would be returned, and one British officer would remain with the French until the escort safely returned. Montcalm explained the terms to his Indian allies, who were not familiar with European practices. The French troops had been receiving pay, while the Indians expected plunder. They decided to take what they saw as rightfully theirs. This incident, which began on the afternoon of the 9th, is known as the Massacre of Fort William Henry. As the British exited the fort, the Indians entered, and finding no plunder, they decided to attack the British sick. The French were forced to defend the British from the Indians, who then started attacking the British outside the main fort, who were staying there for the night before being moved to Fort Edward the next day. The French cleared them out and stood guard, but the Indians attacked the next morning as the force was preparing to leave. The French escort marched with the regulars at the front of the column, but the provincials at the rear were left defenceless. Many were killed, but prisoners were more valuable. The French tried to intervene, but when they threatened to do this, the Indians would kill the captives, rather than risk no reward at all. The results were that slightly less than 200 were killed, while between 300 and 500 were taken captive, with another 300 to 500 taking refuge with the French. The rest fled for Fort Edward. A couple hundred Indians who were familiar with the French, the Abenakis and Nipissings, stayed with the French while 1,300 returned home. The French tried to intercept the Indians, and managed to ransom 200 captives by the end of August. It severely damaged Franco-Indian relations. The Indians felt betrayed by the French, while Montcalm was embarrassed by Indian actions. His views of them as savages were further cemented. Indians would never again fight for the French in such numbers. This was partly to do with declining relations with the French, but also some of the British were sick. They were sick with smallpox. The captives the Indians took, the scalps and clothing, were all infected. An epidemic broke out, devastating the Indian tribes. The British would never offer French honourable terms in the war, feeling that the French could not be trusted. Anti Catholic sentiment spread in New England while the Anglo Americans turned against the Native Americans. To turn to more immediate events, Montcalm did not launch an attack against Fort Edward. This was partly to do with the loss of the Indian allies, severely limiting both their military strength and their intelligence, but had more to do with lack of supplies. There had been a crop failure in Canada in 1756 and food was in short supply. The Canadian militiamen were needed elsewhere to bring in the harvest, although the 1757 harvest was even worse. Without help from Europe, Canada would be indefensible. One final event to mention. Webb's desperate pleas for help to uh, New England and New York produced results. Connecticut drafted 5,000 militiamen. Massachusetts drafted 7,000. They arrived in such numbers that Webb could not feed them, and many were sent back when it became clear Montcalm would not attack, but 4,239 remained at Fort Edward. It was expensive. One third of all expenses in 1757 were used for this action, but It was a truly remarkable achievement that the northern provinces were able to respond in such a way. The colonists were clearly willing to fight. There was a great potential there. The British just needed a way to tap into that latent energy. I think that's a good stopping point for this week. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.